Hello and welcome to the Studio Roundtable where today we'll be discussing lessons in technology technology leadership. My name is Nikki Dean and I'm joined by a fantastic panel of guests today. We've got Alan Hill from Splunk, James Gupwell from Wellbridge Consulting, Robert Sheasley from Wrench Group and Alex Basin from Lewis Silicon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, now, first question. Um, is despite a tumultuous, that's a great word, two years, it's also been, I think you'll all agree, a period of intense learning and discovery. It would be great to hear what lessons you've learned, if any, over this time about your particular leadership style or maybe the way that your teams have been working. Alan, as you were here first, have you got anything you want to add on that point? Yeah, so I think my own style is about... Um, been able to have face-to-face -face interaction with people to be able to really sense what they mean and say and the you know the unsaid things coming through the body language mm -hmm. and I think in this recent time that's been quite difficult you know it is amazing how much you can miss in a straight video conversation so I've kind of taken that bit I've noted that bit I've noted the other aspect where those water cooler moments when you're bumping into people and have conversations, you know, they're really important as well. That just doesn't happen uh, very easily at all in the last couple of years. So those are the things I've sensed have changed for me. Therefore, what am I going to do about it? The so what question. And it's about doubling down on those areas and recognizing that you might be missing a whole load of information signs and influences because of that and sort of working much harder to create those in the margins meetings, which otherwise, you know, would have happened as you were walking through the boardroom or just in the corridor. So it's really focusing on those areas and trying to compensate for it. Now, mm -hmm. it doesn't fix it all. Those are still shortcomings in what in, in the last couple of years and the way that we've been working. And therefore, the leadership style and the leadership activities need to change in that way. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I'm very much a people person. I do think that, as you said there, some of the best conversations happen just as a, a matter of walking across or overhearing conversations and being in that environment. So some great points there. Uh, Robert, what about you? What have you learned over the past two years or so about maybe your leadership style or perhaps how your team's working? Yeah, I think the last several years have been, um, I've evolved my leadership style to be more purpose, purposeful, um, more purposeful in terms of, to, to Alan's point, recognizing um, through conversation, because we're working remotely a lot now, um, we're starting to come back to the office a little bit, but not everyone. And uh, it's to people's discretion right now for our organization. But I think that, you know, being more purposeful about engaging in not just pointed and deliberate um, professional conversation, but other conversation. Um, you can always find a, a point of concentric circle, shared experiences and shared interests. And I've tried to spend more time doing that because to Alan's point, it naturally evolves when you're in the same building and in the same office at the water cooler or the coffee maker or whatever. Um, and it doesn't evolve as easily um, in our world today. So I think being more purposeful. Also, uh, I mentioned this in a previous discussion about conflict management and, uh, you know, conflicts are going to occur. We're, uh, my team is uh, highly intelligent, highly capable um, professionals, and they have opinions. And sometimes they have strong opinions. And sometimes those opinions are, are not aligned 
um, and they, they collide. Um, in a work environment, uh, in a building or an office, um, I think there's a more fluid way to diffuse some of those situations or manage conflict in a healthy way versus when you're in a video, the video ends um, and you could potentially uh, start conversation with other colleagues about um, the ridiculous idea someone just mentioned on a, on a call. And that is a unhealthy thing that could fester. So um, I've been more, more purposeful in the area of talking to people about conflict management and trying to lead with the C, the other C, collaboration um, to resolve those conflicts. Really good point, that, I think. What about you, James? Anything that you sort of noticed in particular, any learnings, any findings as a result of us all adapting to how things have, have had to be the past few years? I, I think it's, um, you know, the, both Robert and Alan's points are great, but I think I think one of the things that you do notice is in, a, in an environment like this, it's very easy for people to drift off and start, you know, you see the keyboard going and they're tapping away doing something else. So it's how do you make sure that people are engaged in the conversation? Um, that's that's really critical. So you know, I've seen a few tips like people using polls and you know questionnaires, all that kind of stuff, while the meetings are going on. I think what what you do notice is people are having sidebar conversations in whether it's Teams or Zoom or whatever else, and that can be quite distracting because you know that they're talking about whoever's talking or they're not agreeing with the conversation. Um, but but actually, I think uh, you know, back to your you know, the point Robert made. You know, there's something about trust in all of this conversation. How do you build trust? with individuals, with teams, with groups. And, and that's something that I'm taking away as a huge learning point to say, actually, how do I build on that? How do I create that trust between individuals in the team and across you know, people trusting me as well as a leader? So, um, so that feels like the key for me, to be honest with you, yeah, regardless of whether we're virtual or you know, in person, actually creating that, that element of trust amongst all of us. I think for different people, that means different things, but, um, but that seems the key to me. Yeah, very valid and very interesting point there about the trust issue. We'll come back to that a bit later. But Alex, anything you want to add about how perhaps you've adapted or anything you've noted about your own particular leadership style or how your teams responded? Yeah, I, I came at this from, I, I guess, a slightly different position because I'd pre-pandemic run global teams. So I was quite used to asynchronous leadership having to do a, a lot of that kind of set of direction and then check in fairly fairly regularly, but I wasn't co-located with most of my team for, for most of you know most of the few years pre-pandemic, um, and and actually in some senses, like leveling that playing field of everyone being remote rather than some people people being remote and some people not actually really helped. Certainly, one of the teams I was I was running really gel. Uh, we stopped those sidebar in-person conversations that had always been a problem for us. Um, on the other hand, what I found, I moved firms uh, during during the pandemic, was as a new joiner, setting a direction, understanding the firm culture, that had to be much, much more intentional. And so, you know, spending that time with people outside of formal meeting se sessions, which you do naturally as a new joiner or as a, a new leader when when you're in person and, and you know in in pre-pandemic times actually was was much much more difficult and so that's something that I, I think it, it kind of reflects what Robert was saying as well about being purposeful outside of the meeting is is something I've taken away. 
I think that's a really good point, actually. I have a good friend of mine who, who's in a similar situation, and that was one of the things she most struggled with. She really loved the role, felt that she was very capable, but it was the not being able to, to build those, you know, those personal relationships, if you like, which help within a team so you can understand one another, you can bounce ideas, or having the confidence to speak up in meetings. I don't know about yourselves, but if there's lots of people on a meeting and you're the new person, brimming with great ideas, you're looking at things from a different perspective, it's you know how do you put your hand up and make yourself visible if, you, if you're not confident and comfortable maybe within that team so that's really interesting uh, before we move on just out of interest how are you generally working then as an organization and, and in your own role is it a hybrid environment are you still working mainly you know virtually or remotely rather from home or are you starting to see more gatherings in person how's that actually working for you at the moment so we're we're hybrid uh, we're being re- relatively relaxed but also fairly structured so we're we're asking people to come in a couple of days a week but one of those days we are setting as as an anchor day so that we know everyone in a team will be in on the same day to 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 build that uh build that shared culture um we've had phenomenal growth over over the pandemic and so we've got a lot of people who have never met their colleagues in person and and it's it's very important for us to to build that so we're we're not going to be back probably more than two or three days a week for for a long time but making sure that we coordinate those days is is really important to us hybrid as well yeah definitely hybrid Um, my previous company actually was a very young startup um and, and they they encouraged relatively risky behaviour, but but you know people wanted to come in the office. That's up to you. You know, please take tests and make sure you're okay. But but a lot of people did come in, um, and actually it tended to be a lot more of the younger community who might be sleeping and working and eating in the same room. Um, so a lot of those uh, teams did come in uh, on site quite a regular basis, but but very much a hybrid basis. And I think that will that will certainly last um, post pandemic. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that culture's that culture actually is a really important part of recruiting in what is you know quite a challenging environment now. But just what James said, you know, we have we have a range of people. And if I go back to my CR role at university, when it's students as well as staff, many people uh, will be delighted to work from home. Those we, we must address this issue where people are stuck in their room, literally, you know, in a shared house or something. And yeah. they want to come into the office or those that need to come into the office for their own safety okay we have to make accommodations for them so having this sort of central time during the week when you know as by and large as a team we try and gather in the office becomes really important if you want to come in the office or need to come in the office five days a week that's got to be accommodated as well and so it's going to be i suspect it will settle into some sort of you know, reasonably comfortable area. But if you're collaborating, we're trying to say, right, let's get in the office if at all possible for that. Yeah. What about you, Robert? How are things looking at the rent group in terms of how you're working? Is it this hybrid model that we're all sort of leaning towards now these days? It's here to stay, I would say. Yeah, we are hybrid. Uh, you know, our, our organization, our IT organization is, uh, uh, the organizational architecture is eight competency areas. Some of those competency areas uh, as in our m a integration competency um, requires more business stakeholder uh, face-to-face interaction than let's just say um, our information management and analytics competency area where there's uh, 
uh, data developers, Microsoft Azure, Databricks developers that don't have as quite a need to be in um, in the office or engagement with the business stakeholder. So we've allowed people to make the decision on their own as to whether or not they come into the office um, based on their role in the organization, based on the competency area that they uh, are aligned with. Um, and then of course, you know, based on their level of comfort too. Um, so for now, we're hybrid. Um, our C-suite is in the office um, uh, weekly. Um, my office is in Atlanta, Georgia, but I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm not in the office every week, uh, typically twice uh, a month. There's certainly lots of advantages, I think, to the hybrid way of working that we, we, you know, we had to, first of all, it was we had to react to it. And now actually it's opening up lots of opportunities. We won't talk about them all today, but are you seeing any other changes in the industry, um, in the ways that people are working, not just in this hybrid way of working, but maybe new ways of thinking or new opportunities that have come out of what was initially, obviously, you know, it was panic stations for all of us. What sort of advantages and positives are you seeing out of it that you've embraced as an individual and a leader and also within your organizations? I would say knowledge sharing, uh, just to jump in. I think people are now of the impression and understanding how valuable knowledge sharing is because we're not in the office together. Much like Alex, I came from a world mostly in, in the M&A consulting um, world where we worked anywhere and everywhere. Um, you know, I remember the movie with Robin Williams called RV where he was taking his family on a family vacation, but he had work obligations that he needed to meet. And he was in like an outhouse trying to get a, a, a signal uh, to, 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 to connect uh, so he could do some work. But, um, you know, I think that the knowledge sharing is something that is something that has evolved in our organization and has a higher priority today than it did three years ago. I think there's also, just building on that, um, there's a point about, I've always been a big fan of work is what you do, not where you go, necessarily. Um, so actually, you know, it shouldn't really matter where you're based, especially from a recruit perspective. I was sort of, you know, thinking about this one of the later questions, but, you know, trying to recruit talent at the moment, you know, if you're just trying to focus on London, it's, you know, hyper competitive. But actually, if I could find somebody in Leeds or Paris or wherever else, well, that should be okay. And it should be okay to sort of work in this virtual hybrid world. And maybe you only see that person once a year, but still, you know, that, that ability to sort of work remotely um, and engage remotely, knowledge share, you know, that's got to be uh, a change that I think we all sort of start working with. I think having people all in one location all the time, I just think that's a, an element of the past. Completely agree, yeah. Anybody want to add anything on that then in terms of kind of advantages, maybe, or positives that you find with new ways of working? I think people have become much more technology comfortable over the last few years. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that the legal industry is a fairly conservative industry in terms of um, their speed to adopt uh, technology. And, you know, we've seen great adoption over the last couple of years, both of kind of fairly traditional uh, tech, but also starting to use AI, workflow, automation, lots of lots of new and exciting stuff there. We've also managed to pretty much break the printing habit, uh, which is a, a nice little nice little thing. Um, and, and so there has been just a whole load of, of sort of small innovations, you know, improvements in process and performance that were sort of forced on us 
by the pandemic, but actually were things that we, you know, we should have been doing anyway. And, and thankfully, you know, now have done those and are, are working to embed those as we return to the office to make sure those habits stick. Yeah, I think it's, I, I would second that, Alex, and I have seen certainly in the higher education sector, a rapid move through the obstacles that have always been there about, you know, how do you work in a digital environment? And then some of the really the much better discipline that you require to do that in terms of where you're putting your data, where you're saving it, how you share it. Suddenly, all those obstacles have been blown away. You know, and we did, uh, I, I recall, we did a full team's rollout to 5,000 staff in three days. We'd planned three years, <laughs> holding hands, helping people understand how to do it. Three days, bang, you're in there. And suddenly it was all overcome. Now, that that's very positive for the future. But. You know, we can't wait for another pandemic to make whatever the next great leap is. But hopefully the barriers will have come down. The the concerns and the worries will have gone away and that we'll be really able to embed this. And they have that hybrid working environment working really effectively with the digital tools going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's opened lots of doors in lots of different ways. Some of the um, areas that you mentioned there about recruitment is a big one. You no longer just limited to people sort of within your immediate area things like events i don't know about yourselves but i've been able to attend lots of events that i just wouldn't have been able to time-wise ordinarily because you'd have to take a flight somewhere or a train um so there's certainly lots of positives what's been the main thing in terms of um, changing how you work that you think is something that you'll take forward or that you want to build upon you said there aren't about you know the pandemic all sorts of things that we can't wait for something else happened like this you know it, it was it was scary at the time we all had to do things out of our comfort zone and a rapid pace so what what kind of things do you think that you'll take from it and you think that we need to do next what's the next step for leaders and what they should be looking towards maybe new technologies new ways of working new cultures what do you think that might be well i think one of the most important things we've seen is that we've been absolutely forced through digital transformation mangle whether you've liked it or not and when i look across uk public sector um in particular you know it's made such rapid changes now that means business leaders now have uh their services and the process that they are accountable for completely reliant on digital services in a way they never were before. They were maybe partly, but now they're almost completely uh, reliant on digital services. So the big change for me is getting the business leaders to understand their accountability for their end-to-end -end digital service. It's not just a CIO's problem any longer. So if the CIO is looking at, you know, a vertical, for example, on, uh, you know, is the website working? Is the customer relationship management service working? They're not really looking at the end-to-end -end process, which is the business owner. So one of the big changes is getting those directors to really take on board. They are accountable for an end-to-end -end digital service. Yeah. Now, if you're in retail, you probably think, why is Alan even talking about this? Of course they are. But outside of some of these companies, that does not happen. In fact, they walk away from it because you know, if it goes wrong, that means I'm in trouble. I'll blame the CIO instead. I think that's the biggest change they're now directly accountable and they'll feel better about taking ownership because they now understand it and it's the cio's role to give the visibility of that end-to-end -end process not single stovepipe technology stacks which i think is a big game changer and that means 
the board really gets digital at that point. The board understands the corporate risks at the holding around that space. I think that's probably one of the most exciting changes I think we're going to see. I think what we're also seeing is just back to Alan's point about, you know, three year teams roll out done in, in three days. I think that people are much more comfortable with iterating and experimenting with technology, um, mm. which I which I think is brilliant. Um, so we're much more able to do lots of small change rather than saying we're going to go away and do a two year CRM program or, or a new ERP system or something. It's actually about how do we iterate on processes that are supported by technology um, rather than technology for technology's sake. And I think that's a you know really positive step out of out of the last couple of years. Can, can you imagine if this had happened 10 years ago, maybe yeah, maybe 10 years ago, the technology footprint would have been a very different world, that the um, the ability for it to actually be solid and stable and work just wouldn't have been there. So so I think you know, it's happened now, has suddenly broken the sort of the glass ceiling of technology adoption in some in some respects. And I sort of do wonder, you know, this virtual world we've had into people at home which has been quite a weird scenario, seeing people, the inside of people's homes and where they are. And I wonder whether this, you know, things like the backgrounds that we could all have turned on here, whether that begins to sort of move towards these metaverses or virtual reality headsets, or, you know, is that the way that technology will start leading? And, and I sort of, you know, maybe I'm getting a bit grey and old for this, but I've got to work out what's the business value for that to happen in order for it to sort of drive value. But it feels like that's probably the way that some of this will go. Um, and, and you sort of you wonder whether this next generation of leaders are are going to be more willing to adopt that kind of, of way of working potentially. But um, but I think that will be interesting. I think for me, the big thing, at least that glass ceiling is suddenly broken broken through, and people are willing to use the technology and and understand how it can be used across the business. That's just fantastic news. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, I would even I would say even extending that value uh, that value stream definition. Um, to Alan's point earlier about end-to-end processes, extending that value stream definition beyond the operations of the business, right, um, into your customer's world um, and, and following that path through to the end uh, result or end outcome, um, customer, business partner, even, you know, employee, right, uh, the employee's world, extending those value streams beyond um, you use the term stovepipe uh, technology. In our world, uh, you know, we're not onboarding SAP that does, you know, it's, it's the Swiss Army knife that does everything. Um, you know, we have to uh, accommodate for interoperability across SaaS platforms and, 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 and um, infrastructure as a service uh, as well. So I think that that definition of the value streams uh, that, incur within the operations and extension of those to the customer, to the business partner, to the, um, uh, you know, uh, third party that might be outsourced to provide customer service, back end customer surveys, those sorts of things, I think is really, really important. Is how you're working today then, does it look very different in your particular roles as technology leaders? Does it look very different to how it did two years ago? I mean, obviously, you're involved in technology. So we've discussed maybe some hesitancy from certain people about adopting these new technologies. But as you guys are sort of 
embedded within the technology world. Is it looking very different or is this just something, as Alan said earlier, it was on your agenda anyway, you just had to adopt it more quickly? I think the lines have been blurred um, and, and, you know, between the C-suite uh, functions. Um, and that's a good thing, especially if you've embarking on a digital transformation. Um, I shouldn't be the only person as the CIO um, owning digital transformation. It should be owned by all of our C-suite in, in a variety of capacities. And that has happened within our organization, and I'm happy to report that because four years ago, that wasn't the case. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased that we're, we're, we're heading down that path together now where the lines are kind of blurred between CFO, CIO, CMO, COO. Um, and it's, it's for the better for us. I think, I think you know, to find, you used to find um, sponsors in big programs really quite challenging at times. You know, who's going to put the hand up for the big technology program? Well, actually, now it, it's it's quite pervasive, isn't it? Across the across the C-suite, everybody's got a, a stake in this thing because, you know, to the point about supply chain earlier, it's going to affect everybody anyway. Um, so, so not having one individual necessarily who's on the hook for it, but the whole organisation actually that feels much more a, a grown up um, adult way to look at this stuff, for sure. The other the other feel for me actually that a couple of changes here is. Now we've broken through that barrier, as somebody was describing earlier, data-driven decisions become much easier. And in a context, so actually we're now beginning to understand how to use data better because we had to, because things just changed. The other aspect, which is really interesting, is given the speed of change we've done, we're in this spaghetti of technology. We've got stuff in the cloud. We've got stuff on premise. We've got software as a service. You know, it's a nightmare. It's gone really, really fast. So now you've got a problem of thinking about your operational resilience of all those services. And to James's point, actually owning that at the sea level and everybody's been part of that operational resilience becomes really super important. And it's not just, you know, if, if you're in financial services, for example, um, that might be a given. You'd absolutely be all over operational resilience. If you're in some of the other sectors, that's never really been that important, mm -hmm. particularly if you're in some like local government. Well, you know, if the council website goes down, does it really matter? Well, now it does matter because you yeah. might be paying grants or taking payments. So those are really interesting changes of perspective as a result of this. Yeah, it's it's changed it's changed the perception of risk as well. So you know, previously pre-pandemic, you know, the, a lot of the the risk focus was bricks and mortar risk. You know, what happens if my building burns down? What happens if people can't get into the office because of a transport strike? Yeah. Now it's what happens if they can't log on in the morning. Yeah. But suddenly we don't really care so much about if there's a transport strike because well, we've all been working at home for two years. So. Some of the changes of of risk attitude are you know are very different. I think the other the other big difference, and this isn't really pandemic driven, but it has happened at the same time, is just the the way that we buy technology is 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 very different. So having to think about you know a, a different capex to opex split for our budgeting, the way we go and procure is very different. The the level of customization and configuration we do of products versus just getting them off the shelf and then integrating them there's there's a lot of different ways we adopt technology now which 
has partly been because of the speed we've rolled stuff out, but it's also just the way that you know technology is is going, um, which we're all having to adapt to. I think one of those one of those underlying points about all of that though is making sure we all understand the security risk of suddenly throwing all of this stuff out to the you know whether it's a platform of service software of service making sure that back to your point Alan about operational resilience actually it's the security resilience of all those platforms as well which gives me the heebie-jeebies at times because everybody is doing something in the cloud actually is it is it good enough you know it does that partner or supplier have the right processes and controls in place you know we know that if we're in AWS or Azure, then invariably there is some resilience built into that. But you can still build a brilliantly stupid pro- platform you know, in the cloud, can't you? So, so we've got to make sure we get that stuff right as well. Architecture or security. <laughs> Spot on. It does matter. And I think that's something that uh, yeah. maybe we've been disco- rediscovering um, over Good the point. last couple of years. That's the strap line for today, isn't it? <laughs> There's been a few, actually. I liked Alan's earlier about the spaghetti. Um, there's certainly been lots for everybody to think about, hasn't there? Lots of challenges and loads more we could talk about. But looking ahead sort of to the future, if we can, let's all get our crystal balls out. Um, in terms of emerging technology leaders, so maybe you know people new to role or um, you know, that are, are having these considerations in the future. You mentioned one area that I'm particularly interested in, James, not necessarily to focus on this, but what do you think their approaches will be to technology leadership? Things like the metaverse, which is massive. People talk about it everywhere. I don't want to necessarily focus on that, but what do you think they will be doing, these emerging technology leaders, in terms of approaches that might be different to how maybe you've worked up until today? What do you think they'll be doing in the future? I think there's something about um, access to technology and how it's accessed. Um, it feels to me that there's a lot of services that are ripe for mobilisation and how that might be used. So, so will people be walking around with a laptop or a tablet or will they be accessing more and more services through their phone? Um, and and you know, how do you make sure that that end-to-end supply chain or service really works well in that form factor? I think there's some of that going on. Um, you know, just sort of trying to sort of think, you know, what that looks like in five to ten years, I find really quite difficult because I'm not sure. Yeah, you know, yeah, we used to have super small phones. We've now gone to great big brick phones. Yeah, you know, what will change again? Yeah, you know, we just, yeah, you know, will it be a small phone but with a flexible screen? It could be all kinds of things, couldn't it? But you just don't know at this stage. It's really quite difficult to sort of fast forward that button. I think. Very hard to predict, isn't it? Especially when you get, like when the metaverse, for example, I remember doing some research on that where, you know, in the future they predicted and it could be maybe 10 years from now, perhaps sooner, that we'd be sending holograms of ourselves to meetings. I mean, can you imagine that? So you'd actually feel like you were in the same space with them. So they'd be, you know, working on all sorts of senses, not just visual and audio, but the, the sensations, the smells of being in the same room. I just find it very difficult to get my head off. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent because that's something I'm fascinated with. But um, do any of you want to share any of your thoughts on what emerging technology leaders, how they might approach things differently because of the opportunities and the way that the landscape of, of work has changed? I think the human factor side of this is really, really important from a leadership perspective. I know we're talking about technology leadership, but when we talk about the human factor side of this, absolutely accepting all the all the technology side is changing but the human factor bit's really important and i think where the new leaders will be better than perhaps our generation is a greater mindset of flexibility of 
building trust, right? Because for us, trust is built by face-to-face -face talking with people. It's quite difficult on a, on a, a virtual environment. How are they going to have fun? And how are they going to look after people's well-being? Because, you know, one of the things particularly attracting talent is about companies that know how to have fun. And you do that when you're all together in the same room or a location or whatever. It's quite difficult to have fun. And we've tried a few different ways on virtual conferences like this. You know, it, it doesn't it's not quite the same. I think the new era of digital leaders will have helped overcome some of that change their expectations and might be using new ideas to in particular around the trust bit and how you get to know people. Otherwise, how do you differentiate between one company or another? How do you feel a part of that company and feel loyalty towards it and want to go that extra mile for it? I think they'll be better at that because we've got to learn it. It will be in a mindset for them. A, a lot of people who are, who are kind of coming up at the moment have come up through kind of more product centric organizations and i think that's that move from from project to product um will will drive a more i guess business and user focused um view of the world so i think the next generation of technology leaders will will be much more business centric as alan was saying earlier that everybody is responsible for for digital innovation and technology um they'll also be more product centric whereas i it's certainly me, but those of us around the table grew up more in a project uh, sense of designing big systems uh, and being very tech centric. Um, and I, I think that is changing. Um, a lot of a lot of organisations are, are moving to a very different model, and I think that will that will drive through to leadership eventually. I would concur with the uh, again back to the the blurring of the lines. I think technology is uh, is advanced. Uh, significantly, right? Um, you know, we talk about virtual reality and appearing as a hologram in a meeting. Um, I see that possibly happening. If you think about the next generation of leaders, uh, what did they, most of them all grew up gaming, right? And back to the trust conversation, you know, the, the definition of, or the characteristics of trust, I think is going to evolve or has even evolved now. Um, so I think, you know, the ability to advance technology to the point where the, the CIO role, if you think of the CIO role or even the CTO role, um, it, 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 it's certainly going to evolve. I don't know if the names are going to change, but I think that the technology leader in the next generation has to be more business focused, value driven, and not to Alex's point, even product or project driven but more value-driven in how they lead a organization that is consistently bringing new technology um, into the environment um, for a variety of reasons internally and customer-centric. Yeah, and that customer-centricity, I mean, technology is more and more of a client-facing role, and, and our clients are expecting us to bring technology-led or technology-enabled solutions to them in the business of law, that wouldn't have been the case five years ago. Um, mm. And so having customer-facing technology leaders in non-technology businesses, I think, are uh, you know, part of, of that change. Mm. Absolutely. Well, we're almost out of time, so I think we'll leave it there. Plenty more we could chew the fat over, I'm sure. Thank you very much for all of your input. It's been completely fascinating. 
it's certainly an interesting and very challenging time at the moment but thanks for your thoughts today and for sharing all of your knowledge alan robert james and alex thank you very much 